Well, good morning. My name is Kevin Aki. I'm the Minister of Families here at Sharon. It's good to be with you. Our senior pastor, Kyle Thompson, is out of town. He's in a Methodist annual conference, so he's asked me to kind of step in, and so I'm excited to be with you this morning. If you're watching online, it's good to have you with us. Hey, I'd love to ask you to go to SharonUMC.org. Go to the very front page, scroll all the way down to where it says contact us and prayer requests. We'd love to pray for you if you want to put in a prayer request there, and we just love to hear that you're out watching, so go ahead and contact us there. We are in the middle of a series called Summer at the Movies, and uh, today we're going to be looking at The Truman Show. So if you've never seen The Truman Show, the trailer that we just watched was a pretty good premise of the movie and what happens, but there's this insurance salesman named Truman Burbank, and he lives an ordinary life in an ordinary town, has an ordinary wife, but what he doesn't realize is his whole entire life is a reality TV show. Now, this happened because a movie studio adopted Truman at, uh, when he was born, and then ever since then, they've been filming him. So they've created this little town and this giant bubble, and Truman doesn't realize that, that, that he's there inside of that, but they do a lot of things to kind of trick him. And uh, millions of people are watching him all over the world to see what Truman does next. And so everybody in the town is an actor or an actress and kind of guides Truman along his life. There's like 5,000 cameras, so everything that he does is watched. And eventually, Truman starts to think, hey, I wonder if there's a little bit more going on than what I see in front of me. I wonder if there's a little bit more that's happening. And I wonder, often, if... Sometimes we allow ourselves to start to live a Truman life. It's pretty one-dimensional. We think, okay, we're born, we grow up, we go to school, maybe we get married, we have kids, we work and work and work, and then, you know, maybe our kids have kids and we got to work even more, and then, you know, our life comes to an end, we finally get to retire, we sit on our front porch and drink sweet tea, and that's it. And I wonder what would happen if we started to look at life outside of the Truman Show TV set, if we started to look at the bigger story that's going on. I remember my parents were so excited because I finally graduated with my associate's degree. Now, this was a big deal because it took me about 12 years to do this. So they were super excited that I finally was going to move out of town and move on. And I'd played soccer at this two-year school, and I was going to play two more years somewhere else. And so I was kind of waiting to decide where I was going to sign my letter of intent to play my last two years of eligibility. So I was kind of talking to some different schools, and I had this really sharp idea about where it was that I wanted to go to school. And I imagined this big stadium and this big lights that are on there and this awesome field, and everyone's cheering my name, Aki, and all the girls are cheering my name, Aki. You know, and everyone's so excited. It was pretty self-centered. I was like, you know, this is when you're 21, this is what you dream of. And, you know, I kind of started talking to schools that could only provide those things. Well, one day uh, I got this call from this coach. I'll never forget his name. His name was Coach Merton. And Coach Merton was a coach at a tiny little Bible college. And coach calls me and he says, hey, uh, Kevin, I really think that you should come and play uh, at the Bible college, you know, where I coach at. I think you'd just be a really great fit. And I thought, well, coach, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that you're interested, but I'm not really sure that, you know, you're going to be a great fit for me. You know, this campus was pretty conservative. There was no tattoos. 
no piercings, no parties, no girls. Again, everything that a 21-year-old like is wrapped around their mind, all these things that are super important, I'm just like, you don't have those things, you can't offer them, so I'm not really sure that this is really where I wanna go. Well, Coach Merton was pretty persistent. He kept calling me, he kept calling me, and I said, okay, I'll go up there and I'll check it out. So my dad and I, we drove up from Cincinnati to Columbus area, and uh, we get out of the car, and I look around at the campus, and I'm like, what am I doing here? The grass wasn't even cut around the campus. All the buildings were old. It was this tiny, small college out in the middle of nowhere. I thought, what am I doing here? And I walked around. I was just disappointed everywhere I looked. You know, and it wasn't a big stadium. It was a soccer field out in the middle of a cornfield with a highway driving past. And I thought, what is this? There was definitely no tattoos. There's definitely no piercings. There definitely was no girls there. I thought, what am I doing here? This is a waste of my time. So I continued to, to walk around the campus, and we get the grand tour of everything, and I'm just thinking, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm here. Well, on the way up, my dad and I had prayed, because my dad had said, you know, how are you going to know which school you're going to go to? I thought, well, I don't really know how this is going to work. And he said, well, let's kind of pray that God will make it obvious to you. And as I was getting back into the SUV to drive home, that's exactly when God made it obvious to me. And he said, Kevin, this is where I want you to go to school. I was like, really? Like this? Come on, God, no, not this. Man, this is a tiny school. There's, there's nothing fun here. There's nothing interesting. I don't want to go to school here. And he said, I know this doesn't make sense, but I want you to trust me. And this is going to be the school that you go to. And I said, okay, I don't get it. All right. So I drove home, and the next day we called Coach Burton, and I said, I'm ready to sign my letter. I'll come and play. You know, it's difficult to see things in the moment, but later on, I realized that going to that tiny Bible college completely changed the trajectory of my life. And even more importantly, it completely changed the trajectory of my faith. I would not be where I'm at today if I hadn't decided to go to that small Bible college. It's difficult to see in the moment, but God had something bigger that was going on. And in each of our lives, there's really two storylines that's happening here. There's what I like to call the upper story and the lower story. Now, we talked about last week about kairos and chronos, and Kyle talked about time, and these are Greek words, but really the upper story is kind of God's realm and his plan and, and his experience of everything and his idea. And the lower story is kind of what we experience. This is life inside the Truman Show set. I think there's a the graphic for that up, uh, that we can see up on the screen. And, and you know, the, the lower story is very easy to see because we see everything, but the upper story is a whole lot more difficult to see and understand. While the lower story is these short seasons in our life and kind of our own individual lives, the upper story is God's grand plan. Kind of like the Old Testament. God's upper story for the entire Old Testament is trying to teach us that no matter what we do or how well we behave or what rules we try to follow, there's still going to be a void there and we'll never be good enough. And the New Testament, the entire New Testament is, a, is God's upper story, his plan to show us that that void that we experience is Jesus. And we can, we can receive salvation by just trusting and accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know, sometimes I wonder what would happen if we really looked up at this grand story instead of our lower story. 
Today, we're gonna be talking about a guy who was promised a grand upper story. But in order to get there, he had to experience a really crummy and difficult lower story. We're gonna be looking at our Bibles today at Genesis chapter 22. So go ahead and pull out your Bibles. It's important to bring your Bibles to church and follow along. If you didn't bring your Bibles, go ahead and grab your cell phone or your iPad, pull up your Bible app. If you don't have that, there's uh, great websites like Bible Gateway and things like that that you can follow on your phone. And it's important to do this and follow along because you will get so much more out of this if you read God's word and follow along with me than if you just kind of take my word for it. So go ahead and pull that out now. Let's go ahead and pull those phones out, pull it up, pull out your Bibles. We're gonna look at Genesis chapter 22. We're gonna start at verse one. And as you're doing that, I'm gonna kind of catch you up on what's going on here. Well, back in Genesis chapter 12, we meet this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham is promised a grand upper story by God. He's promised a nation and many descendants. And God tells him in chapter 12, he says, listen, I need you to leave your land, I need you to leave your family, and I need, to leave, need you to leave your father's house. See, often obedience to God means that we leave one thing in order to go and receive something else even better. And that's difficult, but that's what obedience looks like. And so Abraham doesn't see all the details He's just right here at his time in his life and God's saying, hey, when you're over here, you're gonna have a great nation and many descendants and there's this gap right here in between of where he's at now and where God's gonna take him. Now this gap this morning, I'm gonna call a gap of knowledge. It means that you don't know what's gonna happen in this gap. You don't know all the details. You're not in control. And it's kind of like when your boss at work promises you this grand promotion and this awesome thing to happen, but yet you don't really understand how it's all going to happen, and he starts making decisions, and you're like, wait a minute, I thought I was going to get here. You have two choices in that moment. You can either trust or doubt. Well, it's the same thing with God and same thing with Abraham. He's got a choice. So Abraham chooses to trust God. And then later on in chapter 21, Abraham sees that this gap of knowledge is filled. And he says, oh, the way I'm going to get there is through my son Isaac. And God reveals that to him. But then in chapter 22, Abraham comes across another gap of knowledge. So Abraham's got a choice. Is he going to choose to trust or doubt? Let's jump into verse one and see what happens. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Now let's look at that word that says test. God tested Abraham. Now, the Hebrew word for this is nasaw. Say that with me, nasaw, nasaw. And so what this means, it does not mean that you're enticing to do wrong. What this Hebrew word means is that you're proving the quality of. This is very important because God's not telling Abraham, hey, I'm setting you up for failure. I'm going to try to tempt you to do the wrong thing. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is what God was telling Abraham is say, I'm going to prove to you the quality of our relationship. I'm going to prove to you the quality of your faith. And you just need to trust me through this. So Abraham has a chance to respond. So he chooses to trust. Let's see how this plays out. I really want to watch to see how Abraham responds. Let's jump into verse 3. It says, Early in the next morning, 
Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the wood and the fire are here, but where is the lamb and the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I'm kind of wondering why Kyle didn't ask me to preach this message last week on Father's Day, considering the context of this message. But I want you to focus again on the way that Abraham responds. See, here's the first way that Abraham responds, is he responds quickly. Go back and look at verse three. It says, early the next day in the morning, he got up before the sunrise. Now, God didn't say, Abraham, get up. I got this awesome, exciting adventure for you, and it's gonna be great. And Abraham's excited, so that's why he got up. No, no, no. God told him what was gonna happen. He told him that he was gonna go and sacrifice his son. But Abraham responded quickly. So we have a choice. When God puts something in front of us and he gives us a task or a challenge or a calling, you have two choices. You can respond with quickness or you can respond with like a sickness in your stomach. When God calls you to do something, are you responding like, here I am, God, send me. I don't get this. It doesn't make sense. I'm ready to go though. Or are you getting sick to your stomach and saying, you know what, God, that's not really that comfortable for me. I don't know if you're really right and you really know everything because that's going to be really hard to do. See, following Jesus is about putting it all on the line. Here's the second way that Abraham responds is he responds diligently. If you go back and read, it says that he traveled for three days to get to the location that God was going to show him. It doesn't say that he took a break or he took his sweet time or he stopped and got rest and said, you know what, Isaac hasn't gone to college yet. I need to wait for him to go to college. He hasn't gotten married or anything like that. Abraham just went and he didn't even know where he was going. God just said, go. And diligently, Abraham walked until he got to the place that God had sent him to go to. And here's the interesting part through this. Is this place, this region of Moriah, later becomes Jerusalem. And this is the same place in the same region where God sends his son, Jesus, to be sacrificed for all of us. See, Abraham didn't see it because he's just seeing the lower story, but there's this upper story. There's this bigger picture that's happening here. Here's the third way that Abraham responds, is he responds completely. If you read, it says that he built the altar the way that he needed to build it for a live sacrifice. He took every step and every measure. He didn't just get to the region of Moriah and say, okay, God, I'm I'm here. I trusted you. I walked where you want me to walk. He didn't say, okay, God, I'm going to build the altar, but 
Isaac and I are going to stand over here and, you know, we, we're trusting you. Abraham had to build the altar. And not only did he build the altar, he built it completely. And then he bound Isaac up. And I can only imagine as father and son, the feelings that they had inside of them. As Abraham tied his son that he loved so much down to the altar and bound him up. But the Bible omits all those feelings. If you notice, the Bible doesn't include any of that. You don't want to miss this because here's the thing, guys. Here's truth, church. Is that what you feel is so much less important than what God asks you to do. Let me say that again. What you feel is so less important than what God has asked you to do and your obedience to do that. So here we are with Abraham standing above his son and he's got the knife and that's when God says, okay, stop. Don't come down with it. The test is over. You've passed. Well done. And this is exactly what Abraham predicted back in verse eight. Read it with me. It says, God himself will provide the lamb and the burnt offering. Abraham knew this this entire time. Abraham trusted God even when it didn't make sense. You know, maybe you're going to face these gaps of knowledge in your life. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're looking ahead and you have a general idea about where you're going and you know where you're at now and you don't see how it's all going to work out. Maybe you're in a career right now that's just not working And you keep thinking, there's got to be something else more. I don't like this. This isn't my calling. It doesn't make sense. Maybe you've lost your job. And things are getting really tight. And man, when you talk about gaps of knowledge, this is a gap. And you're trying to figure out how you're going to get through it. Because it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. Maybe you're in a marriage. And you're looking at your spouse and you're thinking, I don't know how I changed, how they changed, how we're ever going to get through it. You know, and it started out good, but now it's pretty bad and we're sleeping in different bedrooms and we're not sure how this whole thing is gonna work out and how we're gonna keep our vows. And I thought God was gonna be in the midst of this, but I just don't see him here and all I can do is just simply give up. Maybe there's something going on in your family and you think, I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't know which side I'm supposed to take in this family feud. I don't really know who's right or what I'm supposed to say or what I'm supposed to believe. Maybe somebody in your family's sick and you're thinking, this isn't how it's supposed to go. I'm not supposed to experience life like this. What about what God promised me? Where am I at in this gap? When you trust God through your gaps of knowledge, you live out his plan for your life. When you trust God through your gaps of knowledge, you live out his plan for your life. See, this thing with God, this thing that he's designed for us, it's not a membership. It's not a country club mentality where God says, you gotta pay your dues, you gotta show up once a month to church, you gotta make sure your grass is cut and just give just enough. This thing that God wants and desires for you is a relationship. He wants a friendship with you. That's why you were created in his own image. Think about, think about this, this perspective. Let's say your spouse is a little late coming home from work 
and you're texting them, they're not texting you back. You're calling them, it's straight to voicemail. And you're really starting to wonder what's going on. Now, you have two choices here. You trust or you doubt. Let's say you decide to doubt. You start to get really angry and you start to think, you know what, they've taken all my savings and they've gone to Vegas. Or they've gotten on one of those dating apps and they're hooking up with somebody. Or maybe there's somebody at work that's stealing their eyes away from me. And they come home and you're furious at them. And they're like, my car broke down, my cell phone died. I love you, I'm here, I'm sorry. See, if you want a fruitful relationship with your spouse, you have to assume the best in those gaps of knowledge. And why would it be any different with God? He's saying, assume the best with me. I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Assume the best for me. So how is it that we get in these gaps of knowledge and we struggle so much to want to trust God? How is it that we actually do that? Well, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. This is the NLT version. It says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Let me read that again. Because of the joy awaiting for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he was seated at the place of honor beside God's throne. See, Jesus endured the cross, the worst punishment that we can ever receive. You know that thing that he asked God, please take this cup from me? Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured his gap of knowledge by focusing on the joy that awaited him. Jesus focused on his future, not his situation. And as Christians, we're not supposed to focus on our situation. We're supposed to focus on our future. You ever heard that saying, life is a journey, not a destination? I got to fight against that this morning. As believers in Jesus, our life is about our destination. Amen? We know that God has got a plan for us to be with us forever in eternity. And when we're focused on eternity, these gaps of knowledge in our life, these situations, become a whole lot less important when we focus on the future ahead of us. It's all about the prize at the end. So here's the big idea for today. And this is what I want you to walk away with. So if you've got your phone out, I want you to write it down. If you've brought a journal with you, I want you to write it down. I want you to remember this and live this out. Get through your gaps by focusing on your future. Get through your gaps by focusing on your future. When you get to these gaps in your life and you're wondering about how all this is gonna work out, and man, where is God in all of this? Don't focus on your situation. Focus on your future. See, it's not our job to know all the details. It's not our job to be in complete control. Luke 9.23 says, if anybody wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself. See, we give up the right to control. We give up the right to know all the details. It becomes God's job to do that, and we live for him by making him the Lord of our life, by control, letting him control our life and taking over. Our job is just to respond completely, respond diligently, and respond quickly. That's what faith looks like. That's what living this thing out looks like. That's what following Jesus looks like. Being a disciple, church, is so much more than just believing in God. James 2.19 says even the demons believe. There's so much more 
to being a disciple of Jesus and just believing in God. Our job is to focus on Jesus. Our job is to run our race with the eyes on the prize. Not to figure out all this stuff that's going on, not to know all the details, but to trust God through our gaps of knowledge. You know, and as we go through our life, we're going to get through these gaps of knowledge and we're going to look back and we're going to say, okay, God, I get it. I see how you were at work. God, I see how you wanted me to go to that small little Bible college. And I see now how you were at work through that. Didn't understand it then, but I see it now. And some of you are probably like, well, I don't see God at work. I don't see God through this. Let me encourage you this morning is you're probably still going through that gap of knowledge. God is not done with you yet. As the band starts to play and takes us through this song, I want to encourage you to get through your gaps by focusing on your future. So you've got a choice. You can trust or you can doubt. You know, how would your life be different if in this moment this morning you said, I'm going to start focusing on my future. I'm going to start focusing on my Lord. I'm going to start focusing on eternity. And this thing that you're wrestling with, what if you just gave that up to God this morning? Some of you guys have been followers of Jesus for a long, long time. Maybe this is God saying to you in this moment, hey, eyes on me. You need to refocus on me this morning. And if you're getting that feeling inside of you, you're like, yeah, I don't really need to do that. I've kind of got it under control. That's a pretty good indicator that you need to realign yourself and refocus on your future and refocus on eternity. Get through your gaps by focusing on your future. Maybe you're at a moment this morning and you've never followed Jesus. You believe in God. Maybe you don't, but you're trying to figure this thing out. And what does this all look like? What does it mean to really be a Christian and live this out? Let me tell you, it means when you get to the gaps of knowledge in your life, you focus on Jesus and keep running that race with your eyes ahead. Don't worry about figuring out all the details. That's the fun part because God starts to take control of your life and God takes over and it's way better than when you have control. When we decide to follow Jesus, we focus on our future. What is it that you need to give up this morning? What is it that you need to give up right now? How is it that you're going to refocus your eyes on Jesus this morning and not on your situation? Cole's going to lead us in this song. In this moment right now, choose to respond to this challenge. And get through your gaps by focusing on your future. Let's lift this up this morning. Let's spend some moments with God here today.
this out. You know, right now, I believe that God's in this moment. I believe that he's here with us. I believe that there's someone in here, God's speaking directly to your heart. And he's challenging you. believe that these words are nothing but words but when we we put them into action that lives are changed so come on we're going to sing this verse one more time No turning back, no turning 